Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. Hey, good evening. Hello, and welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I am your host, Danielle Tucker. I'm a singer, a vocal coach, and a lead singer with the Mighty Untouchables Band. The Unstoppable Singer is a live interview style show where we dive into the lives of real-life professional singers who have in achieved incredible feats in their careers. Uh, we explore the challenges and the triumphs that come with uh, life under the bright lights, and we learn what being unstoppable truly means to them. So if you're passionate about music and the stories of remarkable artists, then you're in the right place. Um, stick around because we're going to jump right into it. Without further ado, get ready to be captivated by the unstoppable talent of my guest tonight. Meet Meredith Pyle, the Los Angeles-based professional singer, actor, teacher, and vocal contractor. With her vocal chameleon versatility, comedic tendencies, and strong musicianship, Meredith has taken the entertainment industry by storm. Born into a musical family in Houston, Texas, Meredith's passion for performance ignited at a young age. She honed her skills at Baylor University and Oklahoma City University, where she trained under the guidance of renowned voice teachers and starred in productions that earned her high praise from industry icons like Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly O'Hara. From New York City to the thriving scene of Los Angeles, Meredith has conquered stages and screens alike. Her powerful voice has been heard on The Ellen Show, NBC's The Real O'Neills, and even in commercials for major brands. She has lent her talents to blockbuster films like Disney's Frozen 2 and Mulan, and animated projects such as Super Mario Brothers and Minions. Uh, not only does she excel as a singer, but she also embraces her role as a vocal contractor and a professional choral singer. She uses her voice as a vehicle for social justice with the award-winning ensemble Tonality, while also collaborating with prestigious institutions like the LA Master Chorale and the LA Phil. When she's not captivating audiences or sharing her expertise as an instructor of voice, Meredith loves exploring her culinary skills and embarking on exciting adventures with her husband, Ben. So prepare to be spellbound by the force that is Meredith Pyle. Let me bring her on. Hello, Meredith. Hello. Thank you for that bio. And you have to send it to me later because you like <laughs> edited my bio and like combined like three bios. I think you went to my website. I'm like, I'm going to need that because that was really well done, Danielle. You Bravo. got it. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank yeah. Thank you so much. It's yeah. great to be here. Thanks for having I, me. I'm so happy to have you. And oh. I, I could have gone on and on forever <laughs> Because you've had a really, really big career. So yeah. I don't think we'll have any shortage of things to <laughs> talk about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
aside from the bio, why don't you bring us up to speed and kind of give us a glimpse into what your career is like today, nowadays, what's the day in the life like for Meredith Pyle? Okay. A day in the life of Meredith Pyle is, um, well, recently, and I just announced this on social media, so I feel like I can say it here. Um, I'm recently pregnant, so I'm in my second trimester. So, you know, a lot of life right now just is about home and family. Um, About two months ago, also, my husband and I bought our first house. So it's a lot of remodeling and figuring out what we want to do with our spaces and, and that kind of part of life. It's a lot of adulting right now. Yes. (laughs) But it also has a great um, amount of teaching in it. As you mentioned, like I've been a professor of voice at at Pepperdine University, at the Harvard-Westlake School, and recently at University of Southern California, fight on. Um, So it's been a huge part of my life in the last Mm. decade, and it's just evolving more and more every single year, um, every single day. It feels like Mm -hmm. I get um, like new students and a lot of sweet students that are coming back to me that have maybe, you know, left or I knew at a different point in their life. And now they're getting ready to like go to Harvard and they want to get in the acapella group at Harvard. And, you know, so they want to start taking voice again after not having seen them in like three or four years. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of teaching. Um, You know, I, I love teaching. I think, you know, I think there's a little bit of sometimes a stigma with teaching and people think like, oh, I'm going to do teaching because like I haven't been able to be a successful singer or performer Mm-hmm. Um, or it's like a backup plan or it's what you do to just pay the bills and, mm-hmm. you know, not to knock that, you know, what you have to do as an artist to like make a living and we all diversify our incomes in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, teaching isn't like that. This is mm-hmm. something I was called to do. This is something that is a huge part of my life and I will do it, you know, as long as I'm able. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a passion of mine. It's something I love. And I feel like I was literally put on this planet to to perform and to be a teacher. So um, it's something I take very seriously and, and I love doing it. And, and definitely I, I split my time as being both a teacher and a performer. Mm-hmm. So it's something I'm very proud of. Um, but yeah, so then I, I do a lot of teaching. I, about four days a week, uh, I'm, I'm teaching um, off and on throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'm a performer as well. And thankfully the, the positions that I have at these different schools are all – um, part-time kind of positions. I don't have any full-time teaching positions, which has allowed me to have a lot of flexibility in my schedule, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And if you are a singer out there who's thinking about taking on teaching, but you still want to perform, you know, know that that is a, a way of doing it, you know, being an adjunct faculty member or having a, your own private studio where your students really understand that you are also a performer. And that means that you may have to change your schedule occasionally to make that work. And so, Thankfully, I've got great students who are always excited when I get cool jobs that come in, you know, and yeah. uh, are, are flexible with me when when those situations arise. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's been a great a balance of of kind of family teaching and then singing and performing, whether that's in a choir or that's session singing or singing with my my acapella groups, no problem or home recording. Um, yeah, all of the above. Mm, my gosh. Well, congratulations on just Thank entering you. such a beautiful stage of life. Thank my you. gosh, just, you know, starting a family and, and uh, it, it changes 
everything. everything. You know, in, <laughs> yeah. In, we'll see where I am next year. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, oh my gosh, I'm very happy for you. And, and Thank I you. look forward to seeing, you know, just how that um, grows you as a person, you know, you're yeah. really in for a, a treat going forward, yeah. uh, a lot of life growth, but um, that's really beautiful. Uh, and I, I love uh, how you've described just the the variety that you have in your career and how that intersects with you as a teacher. And I love that you pointed out that there are in the teaching, in the teaching world, we definitely hear that a lot of like, well, I need a little extra something to, to su supplement my, you know, my Performing. gigs and, and, and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, see any problem with that because um like we had talked about um kind of before we came on live everybody that i interview on this show of well over 75 close to 80 interviews now always says like i've seen who you've had on the show and i'm not really sure you know what i have to offer but <laughs> without a doubt every single person that's been on the program has had so much value to give mm -hmm. uh, because everybody's journey is different. And I think that's incredible for you as a teacher to be able to give that gift to your students of having had such a diverse career, yeah. you know, and, and right. bring that into their lives. And I know that um, also being a performing teacher myself, uh, it's, it's so great to be able to have that firsthand experience to share with them and really like be in those weeds with them. And, and I know yeah. it's very inspiring for them too. So they're lucky yeah. to have you. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, uh, you know, I've had amazing teachers in my life that have all been performers or at least, mm -hmm. you know, at one time performed and, there's so much value in in having a teacher who's not just has been a performer, but mm -hmm. is performing yes. and is currently in it and has a has a tab on like or you know a pulse on what is going on in our industry right now. And mm -hmm. it really does fluctuate so much and right. things really trend. Um, they trend with performing, they they trend with the shows that are out there. Um, yeah. I primarily teach musical theater. That's kind of like my master's degree is in musical theater. It's my my first love, my biggest passion. Um, I do a lot of other styles of singing, but I would say like that is what most students kind of come to me for. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, even from when I started teaching to where we are now, like the scope of what music theater sounds like and the demands of of you know of the singer that's doing music theater today. Yeah is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And I think there used to be a bit of a, like a bit of a belief, especially in academia, that if you could sing classically, you could kind of do anything. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's certainly how I was kind of groomed when I was coming up in, in vocal performance degrees and singing degrees and stuff. And I just don't, I don't agree. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that that, that is true, especially not anymore for the music theater performing artist sure. um, today. Right. So it's been a huge, like, both education for me as a performer, but also me as a teacher, like, how do we adapt? And and how, what have I had to do to adapt my voice that started in classical singing and then moved into more contemporary styles? And now obviously I have to do so many different things with my voice and 
like I said, like be a vocal chameleon constantly. Um, mm-hmm. What have I had to do to get to gain that knowledge and to to feel things shift? And then how can I show those tools to my students? Yeah, you know, I think that's that's kind of like where I feel like I am the biggest asset in a in an academic environment. Mm-hmm. Is that I am in it. Like I'm in yeah. it. I'm watching. I'm feeling. I'm auditioning. I'm I'm I know what's on, on Broadway stages and I know what sounds they're trying to make and what they're being asked to do in an audition room. And mm-hmm. you know, we have to be able to make pedagogical choices so that our students are able to deliver in those mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, that is, that's such a wonderful thing to be able to uh offer. And I think in addition to that as well we can almost serve as their first um, connection to the industry from a networking uh, perspective, because I mean, there's nothing I think any of us want more than to be able to see the students actually do the thing. And we all know (laughs) that this business is about relationships and networking and, and, you know, kind of cultivating community. And when we can take somebody who really has that potential and the drive to do it and just usher them through the door, I mean, that's extremely gratifying. It really is. Yeah. Being, uh, you know, I, I, you, you mentioned that I do some vocal contracting now. I wouldn't consider myself a vocal contractor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's like too big to call me what I am, but what I am is I, I do favors. <laughs> I do yeah. a lot of favors for friends um, I, you know, I contracted a little bit for the Ellen show and I recently am, am contracting a new project and, um, really it's because people know that I know so many people and so many singers, both professionally, but also so many students, mm-hmm. so many kids that are coming through, especially like younger, younger students that are coming up and are just super talented. And, and now it's like, I get to be this middle person between, being a teacher and then putting that student, that right, correct student that's that's feeling like they're ready, mm-hmm. um, getting them or grooming them for being ready for these professional experiences and then putting them in those situations where they're able to get that job. And it's just, yeah. it's the coolest thing and so super rewarding. And yeah. I'm always just like, yes, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that's my kiddo. <laughs> yeah. I get to be super proud mom, but like, parent, you know, stage mom a little yep. bit with these kids that that I've been with for so many years and then are now are now booking work and, and getting solos and, and that kind of thing for really cool animated projects and, mm-hmm. and professional experiences. So it's super mm. awesome. I love that. I mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> well, as I mentioned in your bio, you grew up in a musical family um, starting in Houston, Texas. <laughs> um, let's go all the way back there and and talk okay. about your beginnings in music and, and what got you started and what your j- uh, musical journey has been like throughout your life. Sure. So um, I'm from a large family, um, not just musical, but very, very large. My mom and dad are both one of five each, and then I am one of seven children. Wow. So um, definitely kind of like Von Trapp family vibes there. Um, (laughs) A lot of singing together, a lot of um, growing up singing in church. And that was really kind of where everything began for me personally was singing in, you know, big churches in Houston and, and doing big Christmas pageants and, and getting to be in these kind of theatrical productions. Um, you know, as a, I think it was a fifth grader, I was 
I was in a Christmas pageant at my church and we performed to 50,000 people. Like it was a massive scale for a kid to be. And I was like kind of the child star of the show. So it was just, and I did the Macarena on stage just to really date me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I I grew up singing in in a musical family and and I had a lot of uh, experience performing as a young kid. My mom and dad were both musicians. Um, My dad played in the orchestra, sang in the choir. My mom was a voice teacher, choral teacher, um, and sang with the, you know, choir as well and and got her degree in music as well. So Mm -hmm. um, music was just a huge part of our household. My brother was always on the piano. He still plays piano. Um, He actually has just got a full-time job as a pianist at Baylor University, our alma mater. So, uh, you know, it's just this is like my culture that I came out of. And Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't even an option kind of for me. It was just what we did sort Mm -hmm. of as piles. And um, and that has continued throughout my life. Like uh, when I majored for college, it wasn't really a choice. Like I just knew that I was going to be majoring in music. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I auditioned for the music program at my school. Like that was going to be my path. That's always been what I've been best at. And I've always known that that would be what I would do. And mm-hmm. so um, whether that was being in a musical or singing in a choir or playing the piano or, you know, singing solos at church and stuff like that. I was always involved in the performing arts throughout my entire life. I don't know. I literally, I'm so curious. Like I kind of want to go back in time and like see what it would be like to just do something different. Right. Like who would I be if like I didn't have musical parents and I just, Uh they were like, what do you want to do? And I, I, you know, it's so, I'd be so curious to see what I ended up gravitating towards naturally had yeah. I not had that culture that I was in growing up all my life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Do you happen to recall as a kid what were what some of those things were that you dreamt of outside of the music arena? Um, yes. I'm obsessed with horses. I still am. And I was going to be a cowgirl. And I still mm. think I probably would be a cowgirl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you probably didn't see that coming, but yeah. So my, on the other side, so my parents were both musical um, and my mom kind of like escaped her culture slightly, uh, even though we were, you know, in Texas, um, we were kind of city folk for, for, uh-huh. for Houston. Um, we lived in the country, but we would commute in like every single day of my life, mm-hmm. um, about an hour every day. Um, but about five minutes away from where we grew up, where I grew up was my grandfather's cattle ranch. So I have this whole other side of the family that's like very country and very, you know, of the earth and of the land. And um, like my my cousin runs the ag department at his high school and my other cousins like the football coach. And, you know, so we have like this kind of small town roots kind of vibe and very Texan and um, kind of I grew up around horses and cattle and and that that culture. and I always was obsessed with horses. Like I had horse flashcards where I would quiz myself on all the breeds and I would have briar horses for any of you guys from the nineties. Um, I would have like Barbie dolls, but they were horses basically. And so I would make like horse families and I had stable, a stable that I would like put them in and like a fence. And so that was a huge part of my childhood. I loved horses all growing up and I still fantasize about like, you know, moving to Montana and owning a 
a ranch and a horse, you know, being able to go out on my horse every day. And yes, yeah. Yellowstone vibes. For sure. For sure. I'm obsessed. <laughs> like, I'm obsessed with that show. And like, yeah. I've watched like all the I other understand. ones, like the 1800 <laughs> one and the 1923 one. I'm like completely obsessed. Yes. I would live that life in a, in a heart. I mean, even now, like <laughs> when's that day coming? Like I am ready, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. That would be what I would do if I went back in time. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, um, so going, um, back still in time, you are, you, you always knew singing mm-hmm. music was in the cards for you that it, it just wasn't an option. That's, that was the game plan from day one. And you obviously moved forward guns blazing and just went right into the industry. Was there any point along the way, whether it was from a young age or, or college or whenever that you considered stepping out of it or maybe felt like this, this wasn't the path for you? Never in school. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's mostly because that would never have been allowed. Um, I was such a good student and such a goody goody growing up. But um, I mean, I still am. But, you know, wow, I'm such a rebel now. No, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, I that was never an option growing up. But um, when I got out of school, actually, I I did kind of have a, a wavering moment. And you know, those closest to me know that when I graduated with my degree from Oklahoma City University, which was one of the best schools in the country for musical theater specifically, and to even get accepted into that program was like such a big deal. And then to be like a star within that program where I was doing like, I was the leads of like every show while I was there and having Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly O'Hara like kind of helped me in the beginning of my journey to move to New York and to, you know, get get um, an agent and to start the path of a musical theater artist in New York, like to, to not do that was a huge deal. Mm. My entire alumni network are all in New York. Like they all went and did that basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't, Mm. I just didn't feel, I went to New York for a showcase, like, you know, your graduating class is like a showcase and you go and you perform for agents and managers. And I, I did that. And I, met with some agents and I, I I knew I had a couple doors that I could maybe, you know, walk into and get some, some opportunities, but I just never felt in my soul that it was the right place for me. And I, uh, I had a spinal fusion surgery. I was born with a a disease called kyphosis, which is kind of like a cousin to scoliosis. It runs Mm -hmm. in my family. Several of my other siblings have had similar, um, back surgeries as me. Um, but anyway, I, I knew when I got there, I, I started doing the hustle, you know, I, I would have my, my, my bag with the tap shoes and the leotard and the audition book and hit the pavement and go to the auditions. And, um, I was there for about two weeks right after showcase, maybe three weeks and auditioning, getting callbacks, doing the whole hustle thing. And like around the 10th or 10th day or so, I like couldn't get out of bed. Mm. My back was just so tired. I was so physically exhausted and my my body kind of rebelled against my brain and my heart. Mm-hmm. Um and it was like I I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't I couldn't do the the commuting with the everything on my spine and on my shoulders and stuff and not having a car 
was really hard for me personally in that environment. And I knew that if I moved there, I wouldn't be able to live in Manhattan. I would be living on the outskirts and doing the the train and the walking from my apartment to the to the train station and really lugging everything of my of my daily life on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And for me that was that was a bit of a wake up call. It it was it was okay. This 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 thing that I thought I would be doing in my life, I don't know if this is what God has for me. Mm-hmm. And so I I did a lot of like praying and deep internally thinking about what this means and I I went back to I did some summer stock that summer and and did my musical theater kind of summer right after that and I was supposed to go back to New York afterwards. Um but instead right before that, right before I was supposed to move back to New York, I um I went to visit my sister who had actually randomly bought a like ranch in Montana. So wow. I went to go visit her and um, I moved, I, I went and I was like just in the airplane. I was just, you know, praying like, God, please just show me what I'm supposed to do next. Like mm-hmm. let this time where I'm in nature and like, I just am in this incredible state and such beauty around me. Like, let me just hear like a clear path for my mm-hmm. life. Cause I was just at such a place where I didn't know what to do. And I, I was, I remember like, literally I I can see it now. Like I was looking out the window and we were like landing and I'm seeing like the mountains and, um, the Tetons, you know, how it is there. It's so beautiful. But anyway, I, I see this Vista and like, we touch the ground and I'm praying and praying, like, just show me, show me, show me what I'm supposed to do. I get in the car with my sister and on the drive from the airport to her like home, she's like, so I'm moving to LA. I'm, 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 Montana's not working out. I'm moving to LA and I think you should come with me. Wow. In like 30 minutes after I landed, I'm not even kidding. It was like, after I was like doing this prayer, like 30 minutes after Mm -hmm. I, I, she said that to me and that was a shock. Like she was living in Montana, you know, that was where I thought she wanted to like retire and have the rest of her life. And she was like, it's not working out. I, I'm moving. I'm going back to LA. Um, I can't do my career here. And I think you should come with me. Uh-huh. And I knew, I knew in that moment, I was like, that is what I'm supposed to do. It's so weird, but that's, I just knew it. Yeah. And, and we moved, I moved to Los Angeles and nobody else in my graduating class did. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody from OCU's music theater department did that. I was the first one that I knew, um, like from my generation that did that. I really felt like I was embarking on a brand new journey for myself. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I came out and and I know I've kind of gone on a long tangent here, but um, I didn't do singing when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do it. I, I kind of felt like it was a bit of a reset button. And I, and I, mm-hmm. because it was also like not what we did yeah. as OCU graduated, graduating class, like you didn't go to LA, you went to New York or, mm-hmm. you know, you went to Chicago or you went to maybe Dallas and, and did the music theater scene there. And the music theater scene in LA is just not what it is in those other cities. And I did do a few auditions when I first moved to town, but they kept me from the epicenter of LA. They like really took me out of town, mm-hmm. like, you know, music theater West. I like auditioned there. I, and then I did like a Sierra repertory, I think, and that was going to take me up near Yosemite. And um, I was just like, I don't think that this is for me right now. I just, I, it didn't feel right in my gut in that moment. 
Yeah. So I pursued acting. My sister was an actress. And so I had a lot of um, just doors kind of opening because I was her sister. I took acting classes when I first moved to LA. Um, I got an agent and a manager and I started going out for acting. And Mm -hmm. I have my SAG card because of acting, not because of singing. Wow. So my first session singing job, you know, I remember the contractor asked me, he was like, are you SAG? And I was like, yep. Mm -hmm. I had already been an actor. Yeah. Um, You know, I had already been on TV and had a few lines and stuff from little tiny projects and stuff like that. So I'd done a couple commercials, that kind of thing. So um, my first really three or four years of Los Angeles was just the acting world. Mm. Um, I was a celebrity assistant for four years when I first moved to town. So um, my and my my sister's movie and my boss's movie were both um, nominated for Academy Awards the second month I moved to town. So I was going to all the award shows. They, both my sister's movie and my boss won every – swept the whole award circuit. Wow. They won everything. And they were like, you're our lucky charm. You have to come with us to everything. <laughs> like, okay. So, uh, yeah, like I got to go to the Golden Globes. And, I, yeah, it was just a, such an incredible dream, weird whirlwind first six months of Los Angeles. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Like anybody who's listening, that's like not very normal. Yeah. Not typical. (laughs) My sister was laughing because she's like, you just moved here and I'm having like the career moment of my life. Like (laughs) insane. Like we were getting to do all these fancy things and getting dressed, you know, to go on the red carpet and getting our hair and makeup done and just going party after party after party after party. And it was, she was like, LA is not like this. Like you can't think that this is how it's going to be because right. it's not. Like this is like the dream, and I cannot believe that you're getting this. Like the minute you moved, to you town. just got the keys to the kingdom as soon right. as you rolled in. <laughs> Literally, like my first red carpet. I moved here August 26, 2011. Like our first red carpet was something like October or something, mm-hmm. and it was the premiere of her movie called The Artist. It was what ended up winning Best Picture that year, mm-hmm. and. The premiere is kind of like before everything is growing and um, we go and we, I go, I went with her and we get our pictures taken on the red carpet and we're in like People Magazine. <laughs> She's like, I've never been in People Magazine in your first red carpet and you're in People Magazine, you know, it's yeah. like. Way to pay your dues, Meredith. <laughs> so I just took that as like, you know how I was saying, like, I was just so prayerful about like, okay, show me what I'm supposed to do mm. and where I'm supposed to be. And it was like big giant sign like this is what you're supposed to be and this is what I have for you and like you will do well here and you should definitely be in Los Angeles wow and that's really kind of how it's felt I mean yes there's ebbs and flows for sure Mm -hmm. but I've never doubted Mm -hmm. that that New York was not supposed to be my story and that Los Angeles was supposed to be my path Mm -hmm. um, as a music theater artist you know um in this world so yeah. Yeah. that's kind of how it all started for me. That's great. And when did singing come back into the picture yeah. in the midst of all <laughs> oh, of this? Not, what? <laughs> yeah. The unstoppable singer. Um, so about my third year, I was still personal assisting. Um, about my third year after moving to town, um, my sister hosted this thing called Broadway Bar. And it was at Rockwell Table and Stage. May they rest in peace. Mm. Um, and she hosted it with uh, one of their other co-hosts. She was like the guest host. 
was mm-hmm. like, you have to come. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. It's the Broadway bar. You have to be there. And so I came. I was just sitting in the audience. And at one point within the show, they asked people from the audience to come on stage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I reluctantly came up and I'm there with like, you know, 25 other people and they just do a pass the mic situation. So they start like a music theater iconic song and they start passing the mic and it gets to me. And, you know, I, I obviously know a little bit about what I'm doing, having a degree in music theater. And, um, and then the, 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 the host of the show afterwards was like, um, you have to come back and you have to be a soloist and you have to sing here. And then the next time, I think it was like the second time I was there, and I don't know if you've interviewed him or not, but um, Greg Whipple was also one of the singers, and he was just fantastic. And uh, I was like, who are you and what do you do? Like, I I just think you're so great. And he's like, oh, I'm a session singer. And I was like, what's that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he was like, you know, um, if you're – he was like, do you sight read? And I was like, yeah, really well. And he was like, oh, then you should really think about trying to do session singing while you're here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so this is what the people do. You know, <laughs> I, I, it was like my first introduction to this whole industry. Right. He was like, you need to go take a lesson with Gerald White. And mm-hmm. so I did. And um, Gerald was like, oh yeah, for sure. You've got what it takes. And so he kind of helped me um, form a demo reel and um, he encouraged me to audition for the LA Master Corral, so I did. And my first year, I became a supplemental singer for them, and I was like, "Oh, this is easy," and not even like understanding how big a deal that was, you know, yeah. to have after my first audition to be able to get into as a supplemental singer and get to perform in, you know, Walt Disney Concert Hall with the LA Phil. Like, what a huge deal that was. Um, and then, you know, seven years later, I'm, I'm still just on the auxiliary list, you know, waiting one day, um, that mm-hmm. I've had, you know, just incredible experiences performing with them. And, and in the meantime, have continued to build like, you know, network and meet other session singers and, um, just try to be, this is kind of what I tell a lot of people that try to like take me to coffee and, and pick my brain is pick your brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you, you try to just be good in every situation that you're in, you know, be a consummate professional everywhere mm-hmm. that you go mm-hmm. and people will keep hiring you. And then people will recommend you to other people that are hiring you. And then mm-hmm. those people will hire you for even better jobs. Right. You know, and I, man, the, the amount of jobs that I've gotten because of a job that didn't pay me very well or wasn't like the flashiest job. Wow. I right. could make a career out of just those, those opportunities, you right. know, like I was, this was like last year I did a, I did a live job, a live performing job. So it was not, not a union performance. It was just like a kind of one-off and not super high paying. Um, but I decided to do it and and said yes graciously. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the work. Um I showed up. I did my job and I didn't really know the person next to me very well. But I got seated next to a a big vocal contractor. Mm-hmm. And um they were like, "Man, you're you're great. Um what are you doing uh in 2 days?" <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and then that opportunity which was supposed to be just like I was supposed to sing like a solo step out for this like bar scene for a movie musical. Like that opportunity the people in the booth um like loved me and my performance so much that they ended up having me stay for like 3 more hours of the session 
to try other characters. And I ended up replacing another session singer for like one of the biggest characters of the show. Wow. Um, and so it's just, you know, it like, who knew that mm-hmm. me saying yes to that kind of like low paying live, you know, concert job would lead to like me sitting next to this person that would lead to this, this opportunity where I, I just had to be good consistently in mm-hmm. every situation that I was in and try to be pleasant and humble and gracious and, you know, and everything just kind of leads to the next thing. Yeah. You can't yeah. really afford to not to have a bad day in this industry. You can't. And how do you think you knew that? How do you think you knew how to conduct yourself in that way? Parents? Yeah. <laughs> I don't Not know. Probably having musician parents. Probably. I mean, probably. Yeah. I think, you know, I've had enough heartbreak to keep me humble, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the story I didn't tell you was that even though I was this kind of like star of my graduating class at OCU, mm-hmm. um, which was a competitive environment, like unbelievably competitive, I still was like the leads of, of many of the shows. And and people would tell me, oh, well, you're a shoe in for the showcase. And it was mm-hmm. an auditioned group. Well, they brought in an outside agent and an outside manager from New York to come and I don't know. I don't know what they didn't see in me, but I performed my piece, my pieces for the audition and I didn't get picked for the showcase, mm. which was like, you know, it was what the whole culmination was for my entire educational experience. You go to New York, you do the showcase and you get agents and managers from that. And I didn't get picked. Mm. And it was a heartbreak. I didn't know it at the time, but I was the alternate. And then one of the people that was supposed to go ended up not graduating or something, didn't have the credit and and wasn't allowed to do it. And I stepped in two weeks before, ended up kind of covering for that. Wow. And that's kind of been my story in a weird way. Like I've been like a replacement or a swing or a sub and I come in and they 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 know that I'm responsible and I'm a, a good learner and and I can pick up music really quickly and so I'll come in and do some things you know on the fly and then they end up really liking working with me and and liking what I do and then that ends up leading to something more substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've had enough heartbreak I think that it keeps me grateful mm-hmm. and humble to be there. Yeah, and not be not think that you know, I'm the best person in the room and understand that there are people that are so talented around me and just staying super grateful and knowing that, (laughs) you know, we're athletes and this thing that we do does have a bit of a, it has a bit of a timeline. And so, you know, just soaking every moment up, um, while I, while I can do it, (laughs) you know, lucky enough to be in the room. Yeah. Oh, I think your life is a such a great example for the biggest lesson that I think anybody entering this business really needs to know is that it is all about how you show up and how people experience you as um, a singer and actor professional in general. Um, you know, people get the work because people like working with them. You know, that's mm-hmm. who's going to get the call 99 times out of 100 and treating every opportunity equally, the small ones and the big ones, because you never know. 
You never Never know. know. Uh, It's all about that impression, though, that you're leaving with those people who are going to mention to someone down the line, oh, I just worked with this girl Meredith on this, you know, small little concert thing. But man, she was a superstar and she was, you know, a great human being. And you guys should check her out, use her. That's how these things work, you know, and and you've just got to let that be your way of being in the business (laughs) and, you know, really cultivating that as, um, you know. That's what's always worked for me is like, Mm -hmm building relationships that are authentic, that are not forced, that aren't, that don't feel, you know, networky and, and, you know, I don't know, Uh charm, you know, charming them, but like in an inauthentic way, like just trying to, to find that balance between being proactive about your career, but also not pushy and not um, trying to maybe get in over your head and pay your dues. I think that's something that I'm seeing a little bit happen as I get more and more established is like people that don't want to put in the time that it takes to really establish yourself in this industry and trust that those opportunities will start to manifest when you're ready for them, Mm -hmm. but instead try to be opportunists, you know, like try to force themselves to be in situations where they will be elevated into a position of power and then that position of power, like being maybe more than they can handle. And then the, the repercussions that come from being in a situation where you're really not prepared. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, everybody's desperate and everybody, the jobs are fewer and fewer and the pay is, is, is the same, even though it's more expensive. Um, and and I, I understand that. Um, but for me, the guiding principle and value that has always been, that has led me is just like, be a decent human being who wants what's best for everybody around them and understanding that my time will come when it's ready. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, 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 I do think that singers should advocate for themselves. Like, I mean, I guess there's one thing that I want to talk about during this interview is that in my wise old age, um, (laughs) I have been in situations where I'm surrounded by young singers. And because I'm a teacher, I'm, I feel a lot of, I have a lot of heart and empathy for these students that are just coming out of school or just, you know, maybe even still in school and are getting some opportunities to kind of start their career and Mm -hmm. are often, um, in situations where they're being taken advantage of. Mm. And that's not to say that you have to say only yes to the big jobs or anything. You still need to pay your dues for sure. Mm-hmm. But also understand that what you're doing, this this service that we're doing, like many of us have devoted our life and our craft and our our funds and our education and our, our, our whole passion to this field. Mm-hmm. And with that is there's value in that. You know, and we have W, the the Writers Guild that's striking right now. Mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA is currently in negotiations. We don't know if we're going to be striking or not. You know, we have these large union organizations that are there to protect artists because artists don't protect artists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, 
alone, we feel very much like, I'm just grateful to be here. Thanks for paying me anything, you know? And it's like, wait, hold on, hold on. I have a master's degree, you right. know? I, I've, I, I've spent my entire life working on this field. Yeah. And what I have to offer is valuable. Mm-hmm. And more than that, people are banking mm-hmm. off of my talent. Mm-hmm. You know, people are profiting off of what I bring to the table. My level of professionalism, my, you know, willingness to show up with my parts learned, even though, you know, it wasn't a requirement. Like I put in that extra time and with that, that should be valued. And so I just urge any of you young artists that are listening, like, listen to your gut. Yes. Are there opportunities that you should do for free for at the beginning? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, but know where those lim- those limits are, or, or give yourself some boundaries because people will push them if you let mm-hmm. if you let them. You know, people will treat you the way that you let them treat you. <laughs> yes. And yes. I, I just keep getting kind of in these situations where I'm like the voice of the people, and I'm having to be like, wait, hold on, like we're all getting mistreated here, and this isn't okay. Yeah. So advocate for yourself. What we do have is value, and it should be respected. And you will feel in your gut when when it's not when it's not being respected, and when you feel like somebody else is is getting what I'm you know what I'm putting out here. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that you brought you that up. <laughs> that is uh, it, that's such an important discussion that is more relevant right now than I think ever, especially coming out of COVID and what that did to our industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is such a awkward space to be in right now because we are, I believe we are still in that um, place of feeling feast or famine, you know, in, in, in a certain era of desperation, uh, but also not physically or mentally being in the right space to take on too much, you know? And so it's just, it's just such a strange time, but really the point you're making about um, knowing what your value is and what you bring to the table uh, is so critical right now. Um, and and knowing how to convey that information to the people hiring you without it being weird, you know, <laughs> and oh, kind of knowing how to make those judgment calls when, when it's not enough. And that's kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier, why the relationships that you're making with the people that are next to you on the stand or on the risers, mm-hmm. like that matters. It really matters. Cause those are the people that are going to stand with you and say like, this isn't okay. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. why like building community and relationship should be the forefront of your mind. Not mm-hmm. how can I use these people to get where I want to go? Yeah, definitely. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> so I want to talk um, for a minute about your teaching practice and what mm-hmm. that looks like and um, what kind of students you're working with now and and how someone can reach out to you to potentially work with you. Sure. Um, so uh, my teaching practice looks like uh, right now I'm teaching at University of Southern California um, and then maybe one to two days a week with the music theater majors there. Mm-hmm. And then the other days of the week, um, I typically 
work with either privately at my home here mm -hmm. in Lake Balboa mm -hmm. and um, working at Harvard Westlake School. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a, a private school. There's a, like a high school and a, a lower school. And I typically work with the lower school. Um, so if you're in seventh, eighth or ninth grade and you're in choir, there's a good chance that I will be working with you. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm the choral assistant, but I also teach voice lessons during the school day, which is really cool. So students can book with me during their breaks and stuff like that. Um, I've been there for almost nine years, which is just crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, it's been a great, consistent place where I have a lot of wonderful colleagues. Um, and then, yeah, I teach out of my home, especially during the summer. Like I have a large studio that teaches that I work with privately. Mm -hmm. um, they come to my home or I, um, I meet with them virtually. So I have some students that I've never met before that are from all over the country. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I've, I've never actually seen them in person, and yet we do great work online. So the, the COVID experience has definitely changed everything in that regard, and, and I've learned the value of, of voice lessons, virtual voice lessons. You can kind of study with anybody you want from anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. And all of my voice teachers and mentors are actually not in L.A. anymore either. Like, my voice teachers are in New York mostly. And uh, I have another voice teacher in San Francisco, but like, yeah, um, I, I've met with all of them only online. I've never yeah. had a voice lesson with them in person, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of my teaching studio right now. The kinds of students that I teach, um, man, it runs the gamut. I teach, I don't teach super littles anymore. Um, I, I, my youngest student is, I think, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And both of my – I have two 11-year-old students, and both of them are professionals. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're working professionals. They're singing for film and television, or they're in professional productions of musical theater or, you know, per, pursuing a career in music very seriously um, mm -hmm. or homeschooled and, and doing just constant auditioning. Right. Um, and then I have some older students that are doing singing recreationally that that just want to sing and want to learn how to belt and want to learn how to do more contemporary styles or, you know, something like that. Or they are in their community production and they got they're the star and they don't really know what they're doing. And please help me. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. so I have those kinds of students as well. Um, and then I have the professional, my age almost, like coming out of school, like, or just came out of a program and had a mostly classical background and are now wanting to pursue session singing, now wanting to do more contemporary styles. I'm seeing that a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that a lot. Right. Which just makes me feel like as somebody who works in academia, we are not doing our jobs, frankly. Um, mm -hmm. It's something I've been really frustrated with as somebody who has worked in academia for eight years in a collegiate academic environment. I'm seeing music programs that are just refusing to change or, and adapt to what we see happening is trending in our country, which is right. students that want to be able to do it all. Yes, there is value in studying classical music, but it is not the end-all be-all that it once was. And in fact, I would argue that most students graduating with a classical degree are not going to have a career in classical music. Like it's actually pretty rare to make a living doing only classical singing. Mm -hmm. 
And there are way more opportunities for more contemporary styles. And in fact, contemporary singing pays way better than classical singing does. Like if they were a pop artist and made it big as a pop artist, like my goodness, right? Yeah. That's where the real money comes in. So if, if we're preparing people for careers in which they will be successful, you would think that we would be preparing them for these con- more contemporary styles. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of tradition involved in academia and a lot of slow moving pace. Um, a lot of teachers that that just don't have a pulse on what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting our students. And then they come to me when they graduate and they go, help. Yeah. Or I really wanted to do this like for four years and my teacher never let me. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that that's still happening. Like it's crazy to me that that's still the story that I'm hearing mm-hmm. in 2023 when that was kind of my story in 2008. Yeah. You know? It's nuts. So. Yeah. It's a real thing. And I know I've had, I've spoken to many, many uh, singers on here coming from the world of academia who say the same thing. And I think that we're very fortunate to have figures like yourself who are very active in NATS, the community of mm-hmm. NATS and, and the, that world that can be those advocates to kind of make those necessary changes and kind of be that voice, uh, especially somebody like you who is living the profession every day and right. can see the incongruence of what's going on in <laughs> school versus what's really happening on the streets, you know, Completely. And, yeah, bring Completely. those things to the forefront. For sure. Or just ignoring the fact that, like, this is what our students want, mm-hmm. right? And and looking around and going, oh, our classical program where we used to have 90% of the students per- performing or pursuing a degree in vocal performance or classical singing have now, we now ha- have, and maybe 10% music theater or commercial music, mm-hmm. we're now seeing literally the opposite. We have 90% of the incoming class that's a music theater major or a commercial music major. And these, these, these majors are booming. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the classical incoming classes are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And yet the teachers are still forcing classical curriculum. Mm-hmm. They're still forcing students to sing using classical technique. And their belief is that if you can sing classical, you can sing anything. And I just don't believe that that is true. Right. And their their technique hasn't necessarily shifted either. Right. Mm-hmm. The students are are still sounding like classical singers that are kind of like posing as music theater artists or or pop artists. Yes. You know, I hear that all the time. You know, oh yeah, I did music theater in school. My classical teacher taught me how to sing music theater sometimes when I was allowed to. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just sound like they're a classical singer singing, you know? Yeah. I, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, I could, we could talk forever about yeah, that. It's <laughs> hard to unring that bell for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but it yeah. can be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're definitely doing great work in that space. And I definitely want to acknowledge your, you know, the efforts that you're making in that area. Um, and, and just to acknowledge, you know, who you are in the industry and, and the influence that you're having on the next generation of singers coming into the business. Um, it's really a wonderful thing. We're, we're extremely fortunate to, 
you know, have you in this space. And I am so honored that you'd come on and talk with me tonight. Um, and I want to give you just my one last final question, which sure. is what makes you unstoppable? Hmm. I would say my creativity. And I, the, I, I don't know why that popped into my head because mm. most of my life I grew up with the belief that I wasn't creative. Mm. It was something I was told pretty young mm -hmm. and I believed that for a long time. And as I've gotten older, I realize how unbelievably creative I am just in yeah. a different kind of way. Yeah. I'm not artistically creative, very, you know, like withdrawing or, or art and visual art but I'm a very creative problem solver. Mm. And um, I, I kind of love a challenge and mm. I love finding the solutions to problems and, and challenges. And so I think that, um, you know, when, when I feel that, that pressure, when I feel that intensity, if we're living in Los Angeles, it's a challenging place to live. It's yeah. very cutthroat. It's very competitive. And, um, I'm constantly dealing with new hurdles, you know, to try to survive here, frankly, and try to make a living here. And I think it's my creativity and my ability to adjust and pivot and try new things and put myself in new situations where I'm a little uncomfortable maybe. And, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, find, find solutions to the problems. I think that's mm -hmm. why I, I, Nothing has keep kept me down yet. <laughs> yeah. I love that answer. That's amazing. I'm thank so you. inspired by our conversation, Meredith. Again, thank you very much um, You're so for welcome. being here and taking the time to do this tonight. Thank, thank you for you. everybody who joined us live. Uh, be sure to drop by and check out all things Meredith. What is your website? So it's meredithpile.com. And there's where you can see, you know, my all my professional performing experience, as well as all my teaching page where you, I break down my teaching philosophy and how you can book a lesson and stuff through through the, the online Calendly app and all that. Wonderful. Great. Well, we're going to give you back your night so you and Ben can go cook yes. something up. I already and have. Can I tell you about my menu that I have? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> we didn't even talk about cooking, but it's a huge passion of mine. Part I, two. We do part two. I love it. I know, right? <laughs> but I'm making chicken Parmesan burgers. So it's like chicken, ground chicken, but like with mozzarella and mar marinara sauce. So I'm making yeah. that chicken Parmigiana, like, but on a burger form. And then I'm making um, homemade strawberry cobbler. Ooh. So I'm so excited. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds amazing. I'm making tacos. It's taco night. Yes. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds great. Now that everybody's hungry, have a great night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully you're documenting. I love it when you document document your um, oh, yeah. your food moments on I will. Instagram. I will do it for you. <laughs> I know. My husband was like, enough. Okay, enough. Put that phone away. We're trying to eat a meal. And I'm like, it's for the people. It's yeah, for the, the people. people need to see. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have an excuse. So, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Okay. Well, uh, let's give you that night back and everybody else too. And I'll be back here next Wednesday okay. with another great interview. But goodbye and good night for now. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye.
Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career. 